fifth chapter of Ephesians, the first 20 verses. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an adulterer, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light of the Lord, in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, and always giving thanks to God, the Father of everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Thank you, Lynn. Uh, just a reminder, you probably saw it on the front page of the bulletin, but um, first Sunday in June every year is uh, a special Sunday for us here at, at, at MAC. Uh, this is the Sunday in which we recognize all of the babies that were born in the previous 12 months. And uh, one, of the, one of the things I think is a real blessing for our church, uh, and I'll, I'll just give one a quick example. Uh, this last Sunday, uh, I walked past the nursery and uh, Seanette Brandt was a little bit frantic because there were so many babies that she was needing to find some backup. And uh, she, was, uh, she was looking for uh, some ladies and calling ladies and texting ladies to come because they're just, on last Sunday, there were just so many babies. And I think that's fantastic. I'd, I'd like to see us calling for backup in all of our classes, not just the babies, you know, because, because of the numbers. And, and one of the reasons we do this is is because we we do want to recognize in the lives of these these young folk we recognize that this is a big thing to them uh, the raising of another human being and not just raising them up but raising them up to understand that there is a god the possessor of the heavens and the earth who created everything that there is a, a son who came and modeled the way that we are supposed to live on this planet 
And not only modeled that, but he died on the cross so that our sins could be put on him and his righteousness could be put on us. And that is the life, the most abundant, fulfilling life. It is the only life. And we recognize not only the responsibility to raise these kids up and the, the parents' responsibility, but our responsibility as a family of God and a family that includes all these babies, our part in it too, which means teaching Sunday school which means the special activities, which, which means all of the things that we do during the summer to help shape these kids into the kinds of children that grow up into adults that recognize the God who is the possessor of the heavens and the earth. And that's going to happen this next Sunday morning. I said a couple of weeks ago um, when we had our senior recognition, when all of our high school guys and, and gals were being recognized, that I thought we had just one of the greatest youth ministers in the United States and Cody. I'll say the same thing about Seanette. I think we have one of the most wonderful, most qualified women to be our children's director in Seanette Brandt. And we are blessed. We are blessed to have her, and, uh, and I think all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, we need to pile in and help her with her ministry. And that's going to be next Sunday morning. Now, let's that's, uh, that's pray, and let's get into this, this text that, uh, that Lynn read for us. I'll say sort of at the beginning of it, there's absolutely no way we're going to do justice to all of the things that, that are being said, but we are going to, to kind of get the skeleton of it down, and we're going to, uh, we're sending the questions out. In fact, the questions uh, are at the bottom of the announcement sheet, or the excuse me, the, the handout for the, the small groups that are going to be meeting tonight, the questions for discussion as they pertain to this text. So let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to bless us. Oh, Father, we, we are grateful that in all of your majesty and in all of the bright glory, the Shekinah, the Kavod, the glory, and the holiness and the righteousness that you are, that you allow us to come into your presence. And it's in your presence, Father, that we find comfort and we find strength and we find peace and we find the assurances of your promises. But more than anything else, Father, we find you. And for this we're grateful. For we live in a world, Father, of thorns and thistles that at times wants to separate us, not only from, from you, but from others, and to make us feel alone in this world and isolated, that other hearts are aloof and not accessible to us, but then we are reminded that you're our Father and that we're your children. And we pray that in all of the implications and the ramifications for that, especially those that we find in this text this morning, that you will allow those truths to sink in all the way to the very center of who we are and to transform us and to melt us. And so we ask for eyes that see and ears that hear. For eyes that see and ears that hear. In this we pray with all of our heart in the name of Jesus and all the church said. Uh, many of you have read the book. It's a, it's a really important book to me uh, that I, I'm going to keep for the rest of my life. But it's a, it's a book of apologetics by a fellow in New York City by the name of Tim, Tim Keller. The name of the book is The Reason for God. 
And in chapter 10, which is his chapter devoted to the problem of, of sin, there are two quotes right there at the very beginning that have meant a lot to me. They're both by H.G. Wells, and one was made in 1937, the other one was made about nine years later in 1946, and they are contrasting views of humanity based on his own personal experience and his own feelings. The first one, it's up here on the screen, can we doubt that presently our race will more than realize our boldest imaginations? That it will achieve unity and peace, and that our children will live in a world made more splendid and lively than any palace or garden that we know, going on from strength to strength in an ever-widening circle of achievement. What man has done, the little triumphs of his present state, form but the prelude to the things that man has yet to do. Now, ironically, that was written in 1937. Hitler had already come to power. Stalin, things in Europe were, were really messed up. But he writes with such great optimism, even living in England at that time. After the war, one year after the war, he writes in the book, A Mind at the End of Its Tether, these words. The cold-blooded massacres of the defenseless, the return of deliberate and organized torture, mental torture, and fear to a world from which such things had seemed well-nigh banished, has come near to breaking my spirit altogether. Homo sapiens, as he has been pleased to call himself, is played out. In the, in the 1930s, Wells is thinking human beings are pretty decent things. In fact, not only are they decent, but they're creative and they're smart and, and, and they build things and they're productive and they have a heart that is going to bless the next generations and we haven't even begun to, to tap our potential as human beings. And then after the Second World War, 21 years after the one war that was to end all wars, he writes that human beings are not all that great after all. In fact, homo sapiens, as they're pleased to call themselves, kind of played out. I don't think that most people would deny the fact that at times the world seems like it's a jungle out there. And I, I've already uh, have, have said on many occasions that uh, when it comes to human beings, I don't have a, a, a huge, hugely high or very exalted view of human beings at all. And I think that, you know, the technology sort of creates this mindset inside of us that if we can build a better toaster or a better microwave or a safer car, that we're going to build a better human being. And that's just not so. Yet at the same time, I'm extremely optimistic about human beings. I have a low view of human beings, but optimistic about their chances. The reason is because of God. The Bible, one of the, one of the reasons I think Bible need to, uh, people need to take the Bible seriously is that the Bible doesn't really approach life or itself in this Pollyannish, idealistic, romantic, naive way. The Bible tells the truth about guys like David and Abraham and even Paul. In verse 16 of this letter, of the text that, that Lynn just read, it talks about the days being evil. I mean, it doesn't get more realistic than that to say, when you look outside and you see what's happening in that Roman Empire, it doesn't look like it's very righteous. In fact, the days are evil. But here's the thing. Christians can be optimistic because they believe the Creator, the possessor of the heavens and the earth, is putting everything back together. Going back to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul lets us know what he's thinking about God as he sits in a, in, in a Roman prison. 
And he says, you know, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to the, his good pleasure, which he has purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God will bring back together everything that has been fragmented by sin. Now that's not what human beings are going to be able to do. I'm probably more in line in thinking of the later H.G. Wells statement that, that, uh, that homo sapiens are not as great as they, they think they are. But I believe in a God whose will is not only being made known to us and revealed to us so that we know it and understand it, but he is also invested of himself, God the Son and God the Spirit, to make it so. Man is man and nothing more. But God is God and nothing less. And so in the first three chapters of this letter to Ephesus, Paul is telling us how all of this unifying stuff, the unifying of all things and the reconciling of all things is going to be accomplished. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are actively involved, not aloof as the, the deist would think, setting the motions and the laws of earth uh, in, into action, into motion, and then watching from, from way back. But no, they're actively involved in the forgiving, in the redeeming, in the blessing, and the sanctifying of human beings. And that salvation which triggers everything is a gift of grace. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we work for. It's something that God offers through Christ. And that the cross of Christ, when we begin to really meditate and contemplate, not just on the salvation that it brings, but the way that it, 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 it turns our relationships with each other around. That cross of Jesus is the great leveler. I mean, all humans are on the same playing field. And at the end of chapter 3, there's that great prayer. I hope you're praying this prayer every day. Paul prays, that the church in, in, in Ephesus and the church for all time, that they will get a supernatural help to understand and to grasp and to feel the full impact of the love of God, which is a love that surpasses knowledge. That's why you have to have the supernatural help in order to be melted and to be changed and transformed by the gospel. And when that happens, we become a different kind of a person. Those last three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are about what a person looks like when they have been melted down by the gospel, that they have had that experience where the gospel goes all the way down into the very deep recesses of who they are, right down there in the middle of their soul, and changes them and transforms them. And Paul, knowing that human beings, like human beings today, need help and reinforcement and, and sometimes vivid pictures, he gives us four metaphors to understand what that looks like. And the four metaphors are these. Wardrobe, children, light, and worship. Now the first one kind of goes back to where we were ending last week. The first one is this. We are a people wearing a new wardrobe. Now, you know, to make sure that we understand the whole wardrobe metaphor, I mean, imagine going to, to Macy's or to Neiman Marcus or, or Old Navy, and you go up to one of the salespeople, and you say, you know what, I need to get some new clothes. I'd like for you to find something for me. I'd like for you to help me find something that makes me look ugly. I want you to find me something that doesn't fit very well, 
The colors are not in my color wheel. They don't make me look very good, and they don't make me feel very, very comfortable. I mean, nobody goes to, gets a new wardrobe like that. What is a new wardrobe about? It's about looking new. It's about revealing a beauty about yourself. This is what we looked at at the end of chapter 4. The wardrobe is a metaphor for our new nature. It's not about changing a behavior. It's not about changing some, some habits. It's about a comprehensive, exhaustive change of self. It is the change of our nature, not just a few behaviors. And so at the end of chapter 4, he says in verse 23, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the what? Church, say it. Say it louder. New self. There's a new self that we put on. But it's not a self that we're asking a salesperson to help us figure out whether or not we look good in it or not. It is a very specific wardrobe created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. When the gospel takes root in your life, your nature begins to be transformed into the nature of God. This is not something new. I mean, this is not just something that Paul, you know, had uh, the Spirit gave him and is being written for the first time. This is what Jesus is talking about at the end of Matthew chapter 5 when he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is not telling people of which perfection is impossible, you've got to be perfect without flaw, without sin. The word there means complete. You need, you need to be complete like God is complete. You, you're becoming a complete person the way that God is complete in himself, which means loving people in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. It means loving people the way that God loves people, not for what you can get out of them or loving them only to this point and no more, but it's loving people all the way. And number two, it's, it's being able to turn the cheek the way that God turns the cheek. Have you ever just, if, if you've got nothing to do later today, just meditate on how many times, because we really don't do this. When we talk about turning the cheek and think about it, it's about us and, you know, somebody does something, we turn the other cheek. It's being like God. And how many times do you think a day God turns the other cheek in order for his grace and gospel to keep flowing into the lives of human beings. This new self is about becoming the kind of person who looks at these attributes of God and says, that absolutely makes sense. Who would want to live a different way? That's who I am. Of course I'm going to be honest and genuine and authentic. And of course there's going to be ways that my anger is going to be, is going to be shaped in a way that it's righteous and holy and not, you know, it becomes sinful and gives a toehold to the devil. There are going to be ways that I treat other people. There's going to be things that I'm going to find repulsive and vulgar and I don't want to put them before my eyes. Of course that makes sense. It's more than just changing some behaviors. People will look at how you live and they will see the beauty of the faith. And they will soon discover, and they'll, they'll see it, and they'll go, I wonder where in the world that comes from. And the source for all of that is God, which brings us to chapter 5 and verse 1. It's children imitating their father. That's what they begin 
to understand that you're not just different because your DNA and your genetic makeup makes you this kind of a person. What they're beginning to see is that you're different because of what God is doing in your life. He says in chapter, one, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the old NIV said, imitate God. The new NIV says, follow God's example. It's saying the exact same thing. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, in the ancient world, and we've talked about this before, young boys grew up to become what their fathers were. Carpenters had sons of carpenters. Merchants had sons of merchants. Uh, sheep herders, or shepherds. That's a better word than sheep herder, right? Shepherds. Shepherds had sons of shepherds. And, and, and what all of that means, kind of when you get below the surface of vocation, is that imitating your father is how you knew who you were in the world. And the same thing applies to us when Paul says you're a child of God. It's just natural that you would follow his example or you would imitate him. When you become a son of God, you grow in your understanding of who you are in the world. And you're going to notice in this text that there are three sets of threes beginning at the beginning of chapter 5. The, the text is up here on the screen. I want you to notice these. He says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. Three. Because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, and here are the final three, immoral, impure, and he kind of repeats, impure or a greedy person such a person is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of christ and of god so what is paul doing here in emphasizing all of this through the three sets of three well one of the things he's doing is he's helping us to understand what sin is he says down in verse 11 that it's this incredibly unfruitful life but I heard a guy, and it seems to make sense, I heard a guy talk about what's happening here, and he says these three sets represent the, the three ideas of sin. The first is the scope of it. That the sexual immorality, which is, uh, in the original language, it's the word that gives us pornography. There's impurity, which is a broader term. And then there's greed, which is the unrestrained desire for the stuff in this world. That is sort of the, the scope of it. Because in our culture, in this this week we run into every day. There are going to be people on one side of the fence that are going to say, don't tell me what to do with my money, but I get all this stuff about sex. And on the other side, there are people to say, I, you know, I, the money, I, but don't tell me what to do with my body. It's my money and it's my body. And when you become a child of God, everything comes under the sanctifying power of the Spirit. There is not to be even a hint of this in your life between the two poles of sin. And then the second one is how all of that becomes visible. Obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking. That all becomes a manifestation of what's on the inside. Your words, your humor, and your jokes say a lot about who you are. And then in kind of repeating those first three, he talks a lot about the invisible things that are going on inside of our heart, the immorality, the impurity, and the greed. Instead of this, 
which is out of the character of our Father, we walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. But it doesn't stop there. The third metaphor is children living as light. In verse 8 he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all, and this is the opposite of the sin that he's just talked about, the goodness and the righteousness and the truth. And to find out, and here's the big one, and to find out what pleases the Lord. You know, one of the ways you know you're a disciple of Jesus is that um, you're having an argument with God about how you should live your life, and you're losing the argument. Paul writes, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. One of the commentators on the, the book of Ephesians gives this, this great little story. He says, imagine a billionaire who has this beautiful luxury yacht, and he's interviewing potential candidates to sell the yacht as, as the captains of it. And the three candidates are chosen. They all show up. They presented their resume. Each one of them is given an opportunity to pilot the yacht. Each wants to impress because they're going to make a lot of money. They're going to be handsomely rewarded in, in driving this yacht around the world. The first sails the yacht with, with, with great prowess. And there happens to be uh, up against the water, there happens to be this, this gigantic cliff of rocks. And he gets within about 30 yards of those rocks before he steers away and everybody's just amazed at how skilled he is at, at a, as a yachtsman. Well, the second one, knowing that he's got to top that, he sails within 15 yards of the rocks before he turns away and avoids a crash, and, and everyone's really excited about his ability as well. The third one looks at that cliff, and he sails it right out in the middle of the sea. And everybody, uh, right out there, I said sea, right out there in the middle of the harbor, and everybody enjoys themselves as they sort of tool around the harbor in safety. Well, the billionaire gets up and he says, you know what, all, all of you showed great prowess and great skill, but it's going to go to the third guy. And you know why? My, my yacht is, is precious to me. My, my yacht is worth a lot to me. I love my yacht, and I don't really want it sailing very close, regardless of how, how great and, 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 and skilled you are as a, as a yachtsman. I don't want you selling it that close to the danger. When you live as children of light, it's not just that there's not a hint of this immorality. I mean, you have nothing to do with it. And the reason is because you're light. Light is the opposite of darkness. You know, we say all the time, it's, it's in music, it's in poetry, it's in, it's in prose, it, it, it's in the plays, the movies, it's all over the place. People talk about the dark side. The darkness overtook him. What we're seeing is the dark side of his nature. You know, wouldn't it be great if we lived in a world and said, you know what, he used to be dark, but now he's light. The light, this guy was wretched. This woman, she was pitiful. But guess what? They're becoming light. They're becoming, they, wherever they go, they illuminate with beauty wherever it is that they are. Wouldn't it be great if they said that about us in this city? That those are people who are not living in the darkness, they're living in the light. And when you live your life close to God, He will expose you by His very nature. Just the same way that an old crayon shows up when it's right up next to, to the Mona, Mona Lisa. 
You see the immorality, you see the impurity, you see the greed, you see the obscenity, you see the foolish talk, the coarse joking and the idolatry, and you begin to realize more and more and more that what you need is not just a few behavioral changes, but you need to become a new person. And as a disciple in the process of spiritual formation and becoming like God, by, by your goodness, your righteousness, your truth, your walking in love, you expose the distortions of the thorns and the thistles in the fallen world around you. And then the last metaphor is this. Christians worshiping continually. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with, say it with me, psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. (laughs) When you're worshiping in church on Sunday, I mean, think about yourself. You're sitting in the pew right now. Doesn't it just seem like second nature that there are things that you do not do when we're together on a Sunday morning because they're just not appropriate? I mean, we get that, right? It's sort of intuitive. We understand that when you come into this place, we're coming into the presence of God, and so we clean up all of our jokes. We clean up our language. I mean, think even about our prayer life. Can you imagine somebody praying like this? Dear God, you will never believe what I overheard the other day. The Dearborns are going to buy a new car. God, they are the only doing this because the Smithsons got a new car, and they are trying to keep up with, with the Dearborns. God, is that the, not the most ridiculous thing in the world? Mr. Dearborn does not have the sense you gave to a radish. In the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs> or, dear God, Holy Father, did you see the dress that she came into church with? That's not the way that we talk to God. It's inappropriate. Paul, Paul is trying to help them to understand that, that when you're, you're always in the presence of God and you're always giving thanks and, and the words of the Psalms and, and the spiritual songs and the hymns that are on your lips when it's appropriate here, these are the words that are appropriate when we're with each other, when we're talking to the people who are in Christ and Christ in them. I want to challenge you to an experiment this week and we're done the ex- experiment is this um some uh some of you know the name landon saunders uh landon has as as a, a, a lifetime of ministry dedicated to helping uh people outside of the reach of the church a lot of times understand what god and the gospel all about and he's just sort of a magnet, and, and people are really drawn to him and attracted to him. And even if they disagree with him, they, they find something sort of beautiful about him. In fact, one time a, a guy described Landon as a guy that just sort of lights up because it seems like he just walked out of the throne room of God. And so they were asking him his secret when it came to people. And here's the challenge. Landon said, I, I don't know. I just talked to everybody as if they were going to heaven. Now, he's not a universalist. Uh, he's not saying that everybody goes to heaven and as, as a universalist would. But he talks to them as if the potential of everything that Paul talks about in this letter could come true in their life. And that's the challenge that I would give you this week. Is 
in, in the kind of, of, of talking and conversing and language and speaking that is so appropriate in the way that we talk and the subjects that we talk about and the kinds of things that we say when we're speaking to God and, and, and singing and praising Him, that that would spill over in the way that we talk to other people. And that's the challenge. And, again, we find our inspiration in the Christ. It is He who put on the flesh when we're called to put on that new self. It was He that put on that flesh in order for us to be saved. It was, it was He who said in John chapter 6 that I do what my Father sent me to do, that work. It's He in John chapter 8 that says, I am the light of the world. Again, what Paul is trying to help us to understand by, by this, these metaphors is that we are called to live like the Jesus, the, the Messiah, the, the Christ, in such specific ways with each other and with the community that surrounds us. And it's in Him that triggers it all by offering us the opportunity to discover and to feel and to sense that love, that love of God that comes to us first as our salvation and comes to us day after day after day as patience and a power that comes into our life to help us to understand even more deeply how, how much He loves us and is changing us from self-destructive people and people who are irresponsible with their life to people who model what goodness and truth and holiness and true righteousness is all about. And so we offer you the invitation this morning. to We invite you to be a part of that life. And we're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front who want to share those, those, those teachings and those scriptures from God's Word that help you to understand that this is not just something that, that God offers, but this is something that God invites you and wants you to, to partake in and to be a part of. And wants you to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. Life changed forever and ever until the end of eternity, which is never. And so if this, if this meets something that you've been thinking about, questioning, wondering about in your heart, we're going to sing another song. Brad's going to lead us in a song. We're going to be praising God. If that describes you, come down and talk to these shepherds as we praise God together. Let's worship Him. Let's stand and sing.